Right, good evening, hello, very nice to be with you all. Uh, thank you for having me. A slightly quieter crowd than the 9.30, which was utter chaos this morning, we loved it. Um, but uh, this is my normal home, so it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, as Will said, my name is Lucy, um, and among other things, one of the favorite things that I do during my week is that I'm studying for a master's in systematic theology, um, and that is bringing me alive, and I love it, and I've been doing lots of learning, so um, hopefully some of what I've been learning will sort of osmosis out um, this evening, but it remains to be seen. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's dive straight in. Uh, we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 18. And what I'd love us to do just before I read is just to take a moment, because I'm aware that these passages are the classic passages of Christmas. Um, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in a carol service, I go, oh, it's the shepherd one. Cool. That's, I'll switch off. Um, but I think that God wants to speak to us this evening through these words. So just take a moment, still your heart, and ask God to reveal to you what he wants to say to you this evening. So Luke 2, 8 to 18 says, And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So this passage speaks of the moment some shepherds in a field are told of the arrival of the God baby. An angel, an announcement, a whole load more angels, and then the confirmation that all of this wasn't a dream or some kind of unusual trip, it was real. So tonight's talk is on sensitivity, the final element in the vital signs of life that we learned about in school and also that we've been learning about the last few weeks. Mr. Gren's movement, respiration, growth, reproduction, excretion, nutrition, and sensitivity. And sensitivity is vital to life because it's the ability to respond to changes, signals, or influences. The other day, I was taking a walk with Lauren Windle and a car reversed without looking, and I grabbed her arm and instinctively ran forward. She actually instinctively went backwards. We kind of ended up in the same place, um, but you get the point. Uh, if we lean on a hot hob, we'll immediately retract our arm. This is part of the reason why leprosy is so destructive to a person's life, because their sensitivity goes. So they can be holding their hand in a fire and not feel it, and it's extremely dangerous. Our bodies can also be oversensitive. Allergies are caused by an oversensitive immune system that can, in extreme cases, cause a deadly reaction. And sensitivity is crucial to the Christian life because it's a key prerequisite to hearing God. And so today I want to talk about sensitivity to the voice of God. How do we hear him? And what does God's guidance look for us? And I want to suggest that there are areas in our lives where perhaps we are oversensitive. 
So a quick map of where we're going to go this evening. We're um, going to look at some general principles for hearing God with a particular focus on the role of signs. And then we're going to think about what Christmas and the incarnation, which kind of kicks off the whole event, um, can tell us about how God speaks to us. So, what does God's guidance look like? I'm sure, like me, you've wanted a moment like the shepherds had. Um, But angelic visitations with full angel choir are unfortunately a rarity. Uh, So we have to develop something else. And it's another word for sensitivity, discernment. Discernment is a key activity in the Christian life. And I believe our discernment grows and deepens as we mature in our faith. The Bible is full of these calls to grow in spiritual maturity. Hebrews 5.14, it talks about moving from the milk that babies drink to solid food, which is for the mature who have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. So what does it look like to grow in maturity as we seek to hear God in our daily walk with him? Perhaps when we were first Christians, uh, we thought it would be all trumpets and angel choirs, but maturity in faith leads us into a, a deeper understanding of what it means for God to speak to us and guide us. Because as we'll see, there's actually more than one sign in the passage we have just read. So getting practical for a moment, the Alpha Course identifies five very helpful ways that God guides us and speaks to us. So we'll just take a look at each one briefly now. And they are commanding scripture, they're the five CSs, which is very useful. Commanding scripture, common sense, compelling spirit, counsel of the saints, and circumstantial signs. So we'll just take a little look at those. So commanding scripture. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is the living word of God. So it makes sense that this should really be our first port of call when we're seeking to discern God's voice. It is the gift of God to us, giving everything we need to understand our calling as Christians. So what does maturing in discernment look like when it comes to the Bible? Well, it looks like getting familiar with the whole biblical narrative, understanding the context, the nuance and the threads that run through it that make it extraordinary. It's the bread that nourishes us, as Louis spoke about a few weeks ago in her talk on nutrition. If you've grown up as a Christian, you might remember memory verses from Sunday school, a verse from the Bible that you learn off by heart, usually rewarded by chocolate the following week. That's the only reason I used to learn them. And I wonder, are we still at that stage, or are we maturing? Are we allowing the Bible as a whole to speak to us, or are we relying on classic verses because they're the only ones we know? Dallas Willard, in his recent book, Hearing God, says only the Bible as a whole can be treated as the written word of God. And that is a challenge. So commanding scripture. Next, we have common sense. Very briefly, we are not robots uh, made to obey commands for every move we make. God has made us with our own brains. And of course, we've got to avoid self-sufficiency. But in general, it is God's will that we decide a large proportion of our lives for ourselves. As my dad used to say to me, make the best decision you can with the information you've got and keep your spiritual antenna up. So common sense. We have the compelling spirit. The Holy Spirit is real and active. In John 15, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the advocate or the helper who testifies about Jesus to us. That's the Holy Spirit's role. God's presence with us. The Holy Spirit may speak to us through pictures, images in our mind's eye that might encourage us or someone else. The Holy Spirit might prompt us to remember a particular part of the Bible, which is where we need to know more than the greatest hits in order um, for that to be even more helpful. 
the Holy Spirit can give us a prophetic word. And actually, I believe this is something that we are called to grow in as a church. Um, one small example for me was earlier this week, uh, we did a quite a fun sort of exercise in my tutor group at college where my formation tutor, who's Connor's mum, absolute legend, um, she said, look, I'm going to ask you all to write a Christmas card and just pray and write it and I'm not going to tell you who it's for and then I'm going to give you the name of the person afterwards and you're going to write their name and send it. And so I had a pray and I just immediately felt compelled to write down the blessing of Teresa of Avila, which I won't recite the whole thing, but it's about um, not being afraid. And I knew, just deep within my being, who it was for. I knew it was for a particular person. Her name was in my mind. And then I received the text from my, my tutor, Kate, and it was for this person. And I really felt that was the Holy Spirit prompting me to encourage this person. So there we have the compelling spirit, one way that God guides us and speaks to us. We have the Council of the Saints, one of my faves. So contrary to what our culture might tell us, Individualism, self-sufficiency, they are not the answer in the kingdom of God. We need other people. Just as God, God's self, is in loving community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are made to be the same. Our community can be a wonderful help and guide when we're seeking to hear from God. Proverbs 13.20 invites us to walk with the wise and become wise. We can discuss and question and wrestle with what we believe God might be saying with other people. And actually, I think it's wise to have one or two people in your life who aren't your best buddies, but who you trust, who will help you question and weigh up what God might be saying, but are less invested in a particular outcome than your best friends might be. For me, this is my aunt Sarah, who I know loves me, but is not afraid to challenge me and even to suggest that maybe I've heard God wrong. And I really appreciate that in my life. And finally, we're going to linger here a little bit longer. God can speak to us through signs. One of the things I've noticed in my own life and around me among the Christians I know is that there is some confusion when we talk about what it means for God to give us a sign. Because it's absolutely biblical and right that God does speak through signs. In the Old Testament, he gave powerful signs of his presence. Think burning bush and signs to remind his people of the promises he'd made. Think rainbow for me, it's hot air balloons. Years ago, when I was really struggling with anxiety, God gave me a picture in my mind's eye of a hot air balloon, kind of the, the ropes being cut away and it just rising up into the air and this real sense of him just wanting to take my burdens away from me. And ever since then, whenever I see a hot air balloon, I'm reminded of God's presence in my life, the one who wants to take my burdens. And what I love about that is that that is God um, using my sort of memory and the connections that I make in my mind to remind me of something that he has promised. And there have been miraculous moments of me seeing hot air balloons in the most unusual of places right when I've needed them. And sometimes I just see them on my walk and I'm just reminded, thank you God that you are with me. He is so kind in the way he speaks to us. In the New Testament, much of the talk of signs actually falls under a slightly different category of signs and wonders, which were the miracles that Jesus did and that those, his followers did in his name as well. And these pointed to the glory of God and his coming kingdom. So they were a different kind of sign to these kind of reminders of his presence, signs of his presence, reminders of his promises. But I just wonder if there's something else, another sort of spiritual habit that we've kind of gathered up under the banner of signs but is not quite as biblically rooted. And I'm talking about the kind of sign when we ask God to show us what is going to happen in our own lives. God, give me a sign I'm going to get that job. Show me a sign I'm going to get married. Give me a sign that I'm going to have a baby. 
I wonder if we're not careful whether we can become oversensitive to these kind of signs over and above the other ways that God speaks to us. And when we ask for these kind of signs, I think a number of things are at play that don't necessarily lead us towards flourishing and the life of freedom that we're offered through Jesus. It's a really good thing to seek God's guidance, but I think there's a risk that we hold on to signs too tightly. So I just want us to have a little look at why, some of the reasons why sign searching is something to treat with caution. So number one, Searching for signs, if we leave it unchecked, leans into superstition. That's where unrelated things take on huge significance. A lot of you will know that I've done battle with OCD during my life, which is obsessive compulsive disorder and it's an anxiety um, issue and it's something I still have to be really careful about. And I think one of the gifts of that very difficult experience has been that I'm hyper vigilant against superstition. I wonder if sometimes we think that we must spot God's signs and if we miss them, our lives will be terrible. Or perhaps in our desperation for certainty about our own lives and what's going to happen, we give meaning to things that should have no such authority, which is exactly what you do when you've got OCD. Have you ever prayed, God, send a bird across the sky if I'm going to get that job or something similar? My experience in that is that common sense takes a back seat Sometimes even biblical truths are overlooked in that moment and we become blinkered, searching out signs that tell us what God is going to do in our lives. For me, I've fallen into this habit a couple of times in my life and I have found no peace at all through it, just a whole load of stress. God, give me a sign. And so when he doesn't, I get sad and when he does, I get confused because the thing hasn't happened. And just a quick reminder, I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us and doesn't guide us. But if we get too hung up on signs, and if we hold on to them too tightly, we wander into dangerous superstition. Second reason why we must treat this with with caution, searching for signs skews our focus away from other things that God wants to say to us and other ways that he wants to say them. I confess I've had times where I'm so focused on trying to get an answer from God on a particular thing in my life that I want to happen, that every time I open the Bible, every time I pray, every time someone gives me a word, I become disappointed if it's not related to that one thing that I desperately want to happen. I swap biblical truths, and instead I look for signs to confirm that what I want to happen is going to happen. I look for signs giving me a time scale. I assign meaning to random events and read them as God speaking into a certain desire. And it totally limits my ability to hear from God about other things that might be on his agenda for my life. And there's a really short video that I think illustrates this point uh, quite well. So we're going to watch it now. Just pay attention to the instructions and just focus um, on what's going on. And uh, I'll see you the other side. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear?
found myself watching that and asking, praying, God, what are the moonwalking bears in my life? Which is a prayer I've never prayed before. (laughs) But I think it really illustrates that we can get so focused on one thing that we miss a whole load of other things that God might want to say to us. A third risk when it comes to asking God for signs to tell us if what we want is going to happen is that often we're too close to that thing to be able to discern God's voice. We're only human. And if we're very wedded to one particular outcome, it could be difficult for us to hear God. And I'm not sure we should expect that of ourselves. A friend recently said in the context of something that she really wanted to happen, I'm too emotionally invested to hear God's voice clearly. And I thought that was so wise. And this is where the counsel of the saints becomes really important, as well as that commanding scripture. And perhaps also the courage and wisdom to interrupt the habit of looking for signs in this way. Fourth and finally, on the risks of sign searching, looking for signs from God that things will come to pass in a particular way in our lives seeks certainty and other things that the Bible has not promised. God does not give us a formula for how to make things happen in our lives. And I fear that in today's kind of Christian culture, we've imbibed some dangerous lies that our lives are about comfort, good vibes only. And one particularly pernicious myth that, um, that really kind of gets my go is that your earthly material life is just gonna get better and better and better year on year. Your happiness, your wealth, your relationships, they're gonna build into a crescendo and then you'll sort of float off to heaven where things won't be that different because your life was so perfect. Are we looking for signs that reflect this false narrative? Are we asking God to give us signs to tell us that our lives are gonna keep on improving materially in an earthly way? And if we are, let's take a moment to look at the life of Jesus. He didn't have a house. He wasn't married. He didn't have children. All these markers of the successful Christian life, none of the hallmarks of our savior. Sign searching based on promises that God has not made about the way our lives are going to look is unwise. Not least because it leaves us confused possibly deaf to the voice of God on other important things, disappointed, and with nobody to blame but this God we thought we knew. I'm not saying that our desires aren't good, but we must be careful about what we're asking God to give us signs for and discern whether he has actually promised these things to us in the first place or if we're holding him to account for promises that he hasn't made. We're going to talk about the promises he has made in a minute. I really don't want us to be shaken to our core at the idea that certain signs we believed God has given us could be wrong. And this is something I've challenged myself with. If we cannot bear the idea that we might have misheard or that our own desires may have skewed our perspective, then we are putting our hope in signs and not in God and we're holding on to them too tightly. As Christians, we're invited to put all of our faith in the risen living Jesus who is God And as Christians, we're called to be ruthlessly unsuperstitious because that is the freedom that Christ has called us into. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. But here is the good news. As we move away from this habit of sign searching, searching for signs from God about our own lives, we don't create a vacuum 
there is a fulfilling, envisioning, enlivening, peace-bringing alternative. And it all comes back to this little baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a cow's feeding trough in a grubby shed in a town that we today call the West Bank. Jesus is the ultimate sign, the one born to Mary, who stands at the center of the universe and tells us exactly what our lives are about and how they're going to turn out. So as I finish, I want us to think about how Jesus is the ultimate sign in three different ways. He's the sign that God is with us. He is the sign of how to live the good life. And he is the sign of what is to come. So Jesus, God with us. I mentioned earlier that many of the signs God gives to his people in the Old Testament are signs of his presence with them. Jesus is the sign par excellence. The prophecy about him in Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. This means God with us. The prophecy is fulfilled. All those requests over thousands and thousands of years for a sign of God's presence are answered ultimately in Jesus And Jesus, this baby in a manger in Bethlehem, is the sign to us of God's presence. Do you need to know that God is with you? Look at Jesus. Do you need to know that God loves you? Look at Jesus. Do you need to know that he is kind? Do you need to know that he is generous? Do you need to know that he is faithful? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the sign of the presence of God because Jesus is God. Not only that, but Jesus is a sign of what the good life looks like. If we're looking for signs for how our life is going to go, we can get a pretty good idea if we look at Jesus. Because the Bible calls us to imitate him, living life like he did. And what did that life look like? What are his priorities? Well, happily, it's super easy because we've got it written down. His manifesto that he gives in the temple is this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are the priorities of Jesus and they should be our priorities. Psalm 33 verse 5 says, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. These priorities are a total antidote to the wealthy Western assumptions that tell us that everything we want will come to us. They're an antidote to the superstitious sign searching that tells us our lives are only about the things that we really want. The people of God, that's us, we're not called to be a distracted, superstitious, second-guessing people. The Christian life is not about identifying a series of clues that God has hidden in our lives about how things are going to turn out for us. We are called to passionately pursue the kingdom of God, single-minded in our focus on what is important. And what does the kingdom of God look like? Look at what Jesus said, justice for the poor, freedom for the captive, binding up the brokenhearted, sharing the good news of Jesus. And yet we're taught by our culture and sometimes by our churches, that somehow our personal desires come before all of that. They're more important than our mandate as God's people, and we lose sight of the call. Jesus reminds us he's assigned to us of the things that God prioritizes and the calling upon our lives. 
And once again, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about our heart's desires. Rest assured, he does, and he loves you, and that's why he gave you Jesus. But our calling is so much bigger and more eternal than those things. The measure of God's love for us is not that he gives us everything we want or even everything we think we need. It's that he gives us Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that son calls us to love people radically, to seek justice relentlessly, and share the news of his saving work with others. It was a kind of relief when I realized recently that I'm not the center of the universe. Jesus is. It was freedom. It was pure freedom. And also just the promise that is, is that we don't do any of this, not a moment of it alone, or without the fruit of joy that the Holy Spirit brings. This is not, not, I'm not saying life's just always going to be a slog, but this is our mandate, the joy-bringing mandate of being a Christian, is to live life like Jesus did. And finally, Jesus is the sign of things to come. We cannot have certainty in our lives and how they're going to turn out and whether the things that we really want are going to happen exactly how we want them to. We just can't have that and the Bible doesn't promise it. And any spiritual habits that drive us towards that are not healthy or leading us to freedom. But one thing is certain. Jesus is coming back. The penultimate verse in the whole Bible, the Lord says, yes, I am coming soon. Just as he came filling prophecy after prophecy, he will return. And everything will be made right again. Justice will reign supreme. Disappointment will be non-existent. Joy and laughter will, be, will replace mourning and tears as it promises us in Revelation 21. Christmas reminds us of the first day of the life of this extraordinary saviour who has done all that needs to be done for us to know everything we need to know about our lives, about our calling and about our future. So how do we hear God? We read the Bible as the living word of God to his people in the company of our community and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. We use our heads as well as our hearts and we keep signs in their rightful place. This will be a sign to you. Jesus is here. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Let's just take a moment to, as, the, as the band come and join me here. We're going we're gonna to respond in, or allow these guys, to, we're going to play and we can respond in song. But let's just pause a minute. Um, we're chewing still. I believe God's speaking through Lucy to us today. A, a timely word for us, I think. Challenging but timely. Let's, let's, some of us are wrestling with it now. 
in our, in our, particularly I think in our culture, that, that the sort of myth of progress, just better and better and better. And we look for sort of, as Lucy says, for signs to fit in with what is frankly our worldview with us at the center, our comfort. God doesn't necessarily call us to comfort. Ultimately, he's given us Jesus a saviour who serves us through sacrifice and he calls us to live the same as we recalibrate our perspectives our priorities as we're sensitive vital sign of life we're sensitive to the spirit working in and through us even now this is an act of worship as we rededicate ourselves to him And as we worship and come back to Jesus, as the things that Lucy was describing when we, when we look away from Jesus, when we look at other things, it's wearying. And so I'm just, I would just encourage us as we worship and as we come back to that Jesus is with us, let us see that we can stop chasing, we can stop running after the things that we're wanting God to give to us or show us and we can just rest in him surrender because his promise as Lucy said is that he is with us so for those of us that are weary we recognize we've been chasing worrying after something let's as we worship just rest in him let his everlasting arms hold us from underneath and just rest as we worship.